Hey guys, Josh Kalinowski back at you here. Uh, wanted to do a quick intro before we started the podcast of my guest today. Um, and this is going to be an interesting conversation. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to warn you from the very beginning that we're going to go really deep in uh, a really hard conversation that, to be honest with you, I, I know a lot of us, most of us don't, uh, don't want to talk about. Um, we're going to talk about uh, betrayal and, um, and cheating and uh, what that looks like um, in our life. Uh, my guest here today, Trailer. Lavorne is uh, him and his wife have a company that they've uh, that they call Undone Redone, and uh, we're gonna he's gonna share with you, man, a really hard story. He's gonna he's gonna share you with with you a lot of personal things that happened in his life that he was fully a part of and he was fully committed to uh, committed to and, and, and the consequences that came from that. So I know you're going to probably get a little bit uncomfortable with this, but that's okay. You know, we got to get uncomfortable. We can grow from these, these types of conversations. And uh, Trey does a fantastic job of um, opening up that opportunity to really have a good discussion about the truth and what you can do once you expose that and how do you move on and how do you uh, come out of that um how do you come out of that on the other side? So uh, enjoy my conversation with Trey. Well, man, first of all, yeah, I just, I'm so excited to be talking uh, to you today, dude. Like, um, you know, I've been really, I've been praying for God to open up doors uh, for this chapter in my life. You know, part of getting the book done was having a little bit more of a platform to be having conversations with people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, um, I, about a year, about a, almost a year ago, not even less than that, actually, I got a new mentor. <clears throat> I finally found somebody that was going to, I think, really provide the stuff that I wanted in my life. And what he's done is he's he's allowed me to um, have conversations with people I never would have. Uh, yeah. Obviously, that connection is with uh, Joey and Russ from Wealth Without Wall Street, and then of course from there. Now we, you and I are having a conversation. So, uh, man, I just feel yeah. like you know, God's hands is totally over this. And I just really appreciate the fact that you and I are now are speaking and, and what that hopefully can, you know, can lead both of us into in the future, man. So thanks for being on the show today. I oh, mean, my, my pleasure, definitely. And, you know, as we were saying offline, you're, it's pretty obvious that a lot of what God's doing with you, he's also doing on our end of things too. So it's always neat to to see when God's up to something in multiple places. So yeah. uh, some of the same messaging, some of the same uh, lessons learned and all those things. So I'm excited where this goes today. Yeah. It's, you know, it's really um, pretty powerful how when we allow God to use our past failures and shame and disappointments uh, and trials, how it really is opening up that next chapter and those opportunities that, you know, when we were in the midst of it, we could never see anything good come from it. And you've got a really powerful story. Um, and I'd love it for you to just to, you know, share as much as you'd want to about, you know, your past, you and your, your beautiful wife, uh, Melody, have an amazing story of, of uh, redemption and, uh, and of course, pain and, and, uh, um, uh, and renewed, um, a renewed marriage, of course, there. But uh, I'd love for you to just uh, give our audience a little bit about who you are and, and your journey and, and how you came to be the man you are today. Well, thanks so much for the opportunity to be on the show. I've been looking forward to this since you and I had a chance to connect a couple of weeks ago. And just appreciate Joey and them for introducing us. You know, it's always nice to network with great people because they tend to know great people. So uh, thanks for the opportunity. But yeah, I'd love to share my story. You know, the thing about um, us, my wife, Melody, and I, 
we've been through a lot and it has been quite the ride, no doubt about that. Uh, we have a ministry called Undone Redone. And I think the place to start may be that I never thought I would have had a ministry with the word undone in it because my brand of Christianity, what I grew up in is everything needs to be clean and neat. Everything needs to look the part, needs to be buttoned up tight and no room for anything less than perfect, right? It's got to look um, the the best. And so they, the word undone, right? That just didn't match that brand of Christianity. So, but God did undo us. He undid me, uh, blew up uh, my paradigm, uh, but really in order to make room for something new. And we use a quote by um, Tim Keller quite often, uh, kind of as a backdrop for the ministry that we do now. It's um, Christianity doesn't give us what we want. It's more like an explosion that blows up everything we have to make room for something new. Mm-hmm. And if you had said that to me when I was in my early 20s or when I first started preaching, that was so foreign to my understanding of God and myself, the world around me. But the the journey that I've been on, the story I'm about to share, it certainly has opened my eyes to that reality. Mm-hmm. Um, pain was something that I avoided. Uh, what drove a lot of my shame, what I now know to call shame growing up most of my life was if I'm feeling pain, if I'm feeling negative emotion, then here's my proof. I'm not doing the Christian life right. Mm -hmm. And so I've got to cover that up and lead with this pristine mask. And I had a myriad of masks. So I'll go all the way back to the beginning. I grew up in a small town on a cattle farm. Uh, When I say small, 110, uh, excuse me, 117 people small. So everybody did know everybody. And so my middle name is Trailer. My last name, Lovern. And so lots of trailers, lots of loverns in this rural county. And so if you knew me or didn't know me already, by hearing my name, people knew where I fit. Oh, you're so-and-so's grandson. You're so-and-so's great-grandson. And so what that did now, looking back, I didn't really, maybe wasn't consciously aware, but from my earliest memory, I was living for everybody else's approval. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter who I was. Mm-hmm. I could in milliseconds size up what a circumstance called for, you know, what a situation called for kind of like I'd test the waters and then I would be whatever that the the situation needed me to be. Mm -hmm. Right. And so being a peacemaker and that nice guy, you know, started preaching at 15. So by the time I graduated high school, I had preached in over 200 something churches. And so the pressure of having it together was, um, was really, really high and growing up in a youth group where, you know, uh, you may be the only Jesus some people may ever see. And man, I really took that to heart and I wanted to be a good witness. And so what that looked like is put a smile on your face, don't rock the boat and, um, you know, don't just avoid conflict at all costs. And Josh, I w- wish I could go back and do my athletic career over mm-hmm. both football, basketball and baseball, yeah. because some of that passive nice guy, um, that doesn't really translate well to the football field. Uh, I played both ways, but there was probably some aggression that today going back that I would have been able to bring to, to that equation that I lost because of this passive, nice guy, gentle Jesus, meek and mild uh, belief system that I had, but I really wanted to be a good witness. I wanted uh, to, um, to be a positive example, but what, what I did is I basically was trying to kill my heart. I didn't know what to do with my heart. I was just trying to be this dutiful, get her done Christian with checking the boxes, all the outward behavior. Mm -hmm. And if anything, I thought it was my heart getting me in trouble because what nobody knew, the secret that I had uh, really started when I was eight years old, I stumbled, I stumbled upon a stash of pornography when I was eight and that, that forever changed the trajectory of my life. I didn't have a box for that. As you can imagine, pre-puberty, 
didn't know what to do with that. Mm -hmm. But what I now know is happening there as an eight year old, the dopamine, serotonin and and the oxytocin, that chemical hit uh, that hit my brain, that became my go to when I didn't know how to manage my emotions. Mm -hmm. It was an immediate feel better. And so it didn't match, though, the core belief that I have was as a Christian to know better should equal to do better. And so I was constantly trying to get more knowledge, memorize more scripture, you know, just do better by knowing more. Right. And so what drove my shame, this idea that there's something fundamentally wrong with me, it was really about, Hey, I know better, but even though I know better, I keep going back willfully to this stuff that I know is wrong. What is my problem? And I didn't know who to go to with that because nobody could know. So it was a, it was a secret struggle uh, for for many many years, because um, it was it was a terrifying thing to think that somebody would find out about my secret, mm-hmm. and so I was just constantly trying to will it away. Well, Colossians two makes it very clear: our willpower is no match for our flesh, mm-hmm. um, and if willpower could overcome our our sinful nature, whatever that however that sin may show up, Jesus didn't have to die. And frankly, yeah, I was yeah. trying to do the Christian life minus a savior. Mm-hmm. I was trying, if anything, to show God that I didn't need a savior. And I found that that's a lot of people's Christianity. It's almost like once we're saved, the goal of the Christian life and sanctification is to show God we don't need him anymore. Right. And, and my journey has taught me the exact opposite, that it's actually been a journey into my pain to really see just how broken and just how desperate I really was uh, for a savior. So I... Um, you know, had that secret, um, had a basketball career, football career. So I, I pursued basketball in college. So I landed at a small um, Baptist college in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, coming to play basketball, but also to study to be a minister. And so to leave that small town, to come to Birmingham, which is a little bit bigger place, not a huge city, but certainly bigger than the city I grew up in. Right. Uh, it was an opportunity for me to, um, to finally get to be known for who I was, to finally leave that that small pond, if you will. But I quickly got labeled as the incoming freshman who had preached in all those churches. And so it was such an opportunity to kind of be real, to be known, which is what I long for. I just don't, didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how to take my mask off because I'd worn it for so long. Hmm. And so I just doubled down on the mask. Well, I can't let these guys down. I've got to keep playing the part. Yeah. And so I doubled down and continued to work hard uh, to be the perfect, dutiful Christian man and to look the part what I thought everybody was looking for me to, to be. So yeah. I love what you're saying here because so much of what you're, uh, I think what you're identifying is this, this are this superficial, uh, persona that we have, right. This, this identity yeah. that we've created, um, you know, because listen, we desire to be that person. We desire to be that, you know, there's, there's many of us, especially men, that want to take the lead. We want to, we yeah. want to be a great leader. We've been, we feel like we've been called to, uh, to do that in our lives, and we fall into this trap of leading means perfection. Uh, leading means that I can't be vulnerable. Leading means that you know uh, that first of all that I that I have the right to do certain things that other people can't. Just you know, um, but I'm not yeah. going to share that part of me. And this is, that's when we really get in trouble. And, you know, I, I, I really appreciated what you just said about going from this persona that you had, had, uh, that had been cultivated around you because of, you know, uh, the, the family that was around you, uh, and that kind of built your identity. 
And then you go to try to maybe create a new identity, but you can't because that identity has followed you and all of that perfection of who you, you know, were supposed, you know, supposed to be in the, in the eyes of other people uh, has now got you even more trapped into this superficial persona of somebody that you know that you're really not in a sense. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it was, it was lonely. And and matter of fact, once I started doing um, significant work with a therapist, I realized growing up was really, my normal was extreme loneliness. Now I didn't know that because that was all I'd ever known. Right. I didn't have anything else healthy to compare that to, but I, but I landed at this small school. Um, Basketball didn't work out. That door closed. And really that was my first kind of identity crisis in a sense, Mm -hmm. because I had always been, kind of the athlete, right? And then the Christian athlete. And when that door closed and also trying to get my dad's approval, um, he had played division one basketball. My grandfather had played division one basketball. Mm-hmm. And so I was just kind of following their footsteps. And so when that closed, there was about two weeks, I was kind of in a free fall, but, um, the Baptist association from my, you know, that rural area where I'd grown up, they were planning a church and they asked me to be the pastor. So here I am 20 years old Wow! and they're planning a church and so at 20 years old, I am pastoring a church. And soon after my parents joined the church, my youth director, the closest <laughs> thing to an older brother I had growing up, yeah. he became the worship minister at that church. Oh, so geez. picture this at 20, I'm performing at such a level that I am now not only pastoring at 20, I'm my parents' pastor and my youth director's pastor. Yeah. Now, what in the world did I know at 20? On top of that, I've got this huge secret with sexual sin that nobody knew about. Yeah. And so I am out outwardly like the duck that's trying to be as calm, cool and collected, but underneath the water, man, I was paddling like crazy, trying to keep it all together. And, and, but this, this constant refrain from evil is they're going to know you're a fraud. Yeah. They're going to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And, and just the loneliness of being on that performance treadmill, wearing myself out, trying to get my identity, my value, my validation from what I did mm-hmm. rather than just resting in the finished work of Christ and who he said I was and learning to be. And that was really the journey. So that's, that was kind of the picture at 20. We had our first um, baby basically uh, two years later. And so it was just continuing to, to ramp up. And, um, and I was, I was drowning, but I didn't know how to get help because yeah. everybody, I was the guy that everybody else was coming to for answers, right? Yeah. I didn't know how to go to somebody else for answers because my core belief was good Christians are supposed to have it together and they're coming to you for answers. And so 10 years into marriage because of the secret. And and, and one thing too, I thought marriage is going to fix my problem with sexual sin. And that's the common belief that many of the men that I walk with uh, buy into. If I can just get to the altar and get married now within the covenant relationship of marriage, it's going to fix all the sexual brokenness in my life. And, and it's just not true. Uh, If anything, I believe now marriage doesn't fix our problems. It puts whatever problems we have on steroids. (laughs) I think that's more, more accurate. And certainly that did with me. And when, when Josh, when marriage did not fix my problem with pornography and sexual sin, it basically took my shame to a deeper level because then the core belief was, wow, I must really be fundamentally flawed because now that I can have sex in the covenant relationship of marriage, it's still not fixing it. Yeah. And so Melody, my wife, she was a couple years older than me. Um, we'd met my freshman year, married my junior year. So she had just graduated. So she started teaching school. 
So she's going to bed early because she's getting up early to teach school. I'm still in school writing a lot of papers, finishing my degree. So I'd be up late. And that's when I found Internet chat rooms. Mm -hmm. And those chat rooms became an escape for me to escape the pressure. It became, looking back, kind of a release valve um, in a sense of, of just longing. I was failing but I didn't know how to ask for help. And so that just became a numbing agent where I'd go to more pornography or adult chat rooms. And ultimately over the next decade of being married, I had uh, seven one night stands with women. I really didn't even know their names, much less their last name. Mm -hmm. I was trying that ache of my soul, trying to validate myself. And all of that blew up um, about 10 years into marriage. And the best way I can describe all that time, really from my first exposure at eight years old, it's like the kids playing with a beach ball in the pool in the summer and they try to keep it underwater and see how long they can keep the ball underwater. Yeah. Uh -huh. Everybody on the pool deck knows that's a funny game because at some point that ball is going to come shooting to the surface with a lot of force and a lot of energy. Hmm. And that was really my lonely life. My whole life was keeping that beach ball underwater. And that beach ball was not only sinful behavior like pornography and, and ultimately the acting out with the one night stands, but it was also negative emotion. I didn't know what to do with anger. I didn't know what to do with sorrow. I didn't know what to do with grief. And, and my core belief was good Christians shouldn't feel all that negative emotion. It's mm -hmm. me and Jesus. We need to go and save a lost and dying world. Happy, happy, joy, joy. And so I didn't have a theology for suffering mm -hmm. at all. And so it just, all that just piled on. It was part of this beach ball that was ever growing because the more pornography, the more years it passed, the bigger the beach ball came until the point that, when it finally blew up, almost every waking moment was focused on keeping the beach ball underwater. Yeah. And that is anything but the abundant life that God has, has yeah. called us. But, I, but I've walked with a lot of men. There's a lot of Christian men, a lot of ministers out there that yeah. are stuck in that performance trap. They're dying on the inside, mm -hmm. but they're so trying to keep up the persona on the outside. And I, and I mentioned about the learning to be. And, and God does have a sense of humor. You know, the betrayal is what ultimately blew things up in my life. Um, I was learning to be Trey when betrayal had been the, been the catalyst wow. for the detonation, right? Yeah. I was a human doing, but learning to be a human being mm -hmm. and learning to step off that performance treadmill, learning to give myself grace, which is a scary concept because, and many of your listeners probably can identify with this, what I would do is I would beat myself up about the bad behavior. Mm -hmm. It was my own penance of sorts. I was trying to show God how much I hated the sin. And so I may act out with pornography, but then for two weeks, man, I would just waylay myself, you know, because of that bad behavior. Yeah. And what I was really trying to do at the heart level, I was trying to show God how sorry I was by just beating myself up, right. condemning myself, yeah. shaming myself. Um, it's almost like, see God, see my, how much I hate this sin. Yeah. But really what I was doing is what I was really telling God during that two weeks that I was beating myself up. I was really saying theologically, Jesus, what you did at the cross was not enough. Mm. I need what you did plus two weeks of beating myself up. And then mm. maybe I'll be okay mm -hmm. to be accepted by uh, my heavenly father. Mm. Uh, Romans eight, one says there's no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus and called according to his purpose. And looking back, that included Trey condemning Trey. And maybe some guys listening right now who are maybe on that treadmill and they, they believe like I did that maybe I got to, I can't give myself grace. I've got to beat myself up or else God's going to think that I'm, that I really do want this sin. You know, we all have unwanted behavior and the gospel is a solution for that. I just said, frankly, looking back, even though I'd preached the gospel since I was 15, what I had come face to face with is that the core of my being, I did not believe the gospel. I believe that God loved the world. It was easy yeah. to preach that. I could say God loved Josh because I don't know all Josh's junk. Right. Yeah. But the, yeah, but the one person on the planet I knew all the junk about was me. Yeah. And so I did not have a theology that said God loved me as I am. I sang it just as I am but I did not believe. And so really this has been a journey of belief. And that's really the journey we're inviting men to is a journey into our unbelief. And the beauty of the gospel is the centurion's prayer in scripture, I believe is one of the most honest prayers, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm constantly, almost daily inviting men to pray, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And the beauty is even the unbelief um, he helps with, we don't even have to start with a belief. He even provides that. And so learning to be powerless and desperate, um, it was a, it was a place humiliating, obviously when everything blew up, Mm -hmm. very embarrassing. Mm -hmm. I can remember thinking before everything blew up, I can't imagine people knowing my secret struggle with sexual sin. I never thought suicide, but I that was the closest thing to that. I can't imagine life, with somebody else knowing this humiliating secret, but God loved me enough to blow it up. He brought that beach ball crashing to the surface and it was the best worst day of my life. Before we go on to that, just really quick, I just, I want to, there's, there's two things that I want to just highlight here and then ask a little bit more in depthness is, is one is uh, I feel like a lot of people, men and women, uh, just exactly what you talk about is that, you know, they, they have this belief in faith. They have a belief in God, belief in God. And they feel like, you know, what he did, the ultimate price that he paid was for everybody else except them. Nobody could truly, like, how could you forgive the things that I did? And, and I know that, uh, once again, you know, I have, we, we kind of go in, you know, even though we're in different areas of the country, we run in a lot of same circular, circles with, you know, helping men get down to that pit and come out of it um, and really find and find fulfillment in their lives, but also that forgiveness. And as you said, grace in your life, you got to give, be able to give grace to yourself. Uh, I'm curious to know on your end, you know, the, the, the image that you had of yourself, 20 years old, I cannot imagine, you know, preaching to my father, uh, at that, you know, that he's tremendously educated. He should have been a preacher himself. Uh, I can't imagine a talking to men and women that have been married for years that have, you know, so you're giving them advice as a 20 year old. Uh, did you have, did you have an idea about yourself? Do you feel like God was putting you on a platform to be something even greater than where, who, where you are right now because of this ability to be able to preach to so many people at this young age, to have this authority in people's lives at a very young age, you know, be the next Billy Graham, be the next John C. Maxwell. Was that, was that an image uh, that you felt like you were destined to become? Um, I, I don't know that I went that far, but I certainly felt an obligation. I've got to live up to the part. And once that all started and once the labels came, you know, once I started, you know, speaking in high school, you know, all the guys that were going to church just because their parents made them, you know, in homeroom the next Monday morning, they were looking at me like I had a third eye in the middle of my head, you know, trying to figure me out. Yeah. And 
and so the pressure that I really didn't ask for, but once it came, I mean, certainly I can say there was a part of my, my ego that was really boosted by that, um, you know, by being known in those circles and adults, um, you know, treating me the way they did, but it was, but looking back, it was just amazing how lonely it was. I can, I've been journaling since uh, high school and kind of to your question, I can remember journaling in code because there was a part of me thinking, Oh, you know, one day people can be reading my journals, you know, so I've got to, I've got to make sure that my, my deep dark secrets are, I'd I'd read the journals of Jim Elliott, you know, who is martyred, you know, by the Aka Indians. And I I, I started reading those my junior in college and said, well, you know, my journals are probably gonna be read one day too. And so just had those kind of haughty, prideful uh, thoughts. Um, But at the same time of all of that, what balanced that out was just this self-loathing, you know, because I think the core belief was what is your problem? Mm -hmm. You know, do you not appreciate the bloody death that Jesus gave for you that you keep willfully going back to this garbage that you know is wrong? Mm -hmm. Um, When you willfully go back to that, you know, it's kind of like I had a theology uh, saved by grace and sanctified by sweat and effort. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's pretty common in the church, right? Yeah, it's like yeah. God did what he did at, at the cross and at salvation. And, and I believe that God wiped the slate clean, but somehow I picked up this idea that I had to keep it clean. Yeah. And the further I got away from that salvation experience for me was 11 years old. The more it became very evident, I was not doing a very good job of keeping it clean. Yeah. And I felt like, God was very upset, very angry, very disappointed with me that I could not get my act together. And so if I'm honest, kind of my view of God, um, crossed arms, disappointed look, Mm -hmm. and ultimately turning his back so that he's looking back over his shoulder with a very frustrated and disappointed look on his face. Yeah. And I was constantly trying to do enough good to finally get him to turn and to come running after me. And it isn't it interesting that and Route 1520 is the recovery piece of our ministry at Undone Redone. And 1520 comes from Luke 15, the parable of the two sons. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh-huh. And so, so here's Jesus telling a story, God himself telling a story about God the Father. God the Son helping religious folks understand what God the Father was like. And he's really telling a story about scandalous grace. Mm-hmm. And for me, Josh, grace was anything but a scandal growing up. All those years that I was preaching, yes, I was preaching grace. I was using the word, certainly had heard all about grace, but grace was anything but amazing to me. I thought I was supposed to be amazing. I was a first round draft choice for the kingdom. I've got to show God and everybody else how faithful I can be. Yeah. And if, to illustrate it, you know, it's like, here's God's perfect standard. And I had to get as close to that as, of course, we always rolled, you know, of course, I'll not be perfect. You know, we right. knew we weren't going to get actually to the standard, yeah. but we, we, we better get dang close. Right. I yeah. mean, and so it's almost like with, and so grace was that little extra that God would pour in to make up the difference between my best effort and his perfect standard. Yeah. And I think a lot of people have that understanding of grace. And it's like another way of saying it, the more we walk with Jesus, the less and less we sin. That's what I thought. Hmm. Right. And so with that understanding of grace, it's like every year I should be closing the gap between God's perfect standard because yeah. my effort and my ability to sin less and less should go up. Sure. And so I shouldn't need much of God's grace and you shouldn't need much of God's grace. Man, if you've been walking with, with God for 25 years and what I'm, what I'm describing, what I've found with the men who come into our ministry 
is that drives so much shame because we, even though we've never voiced it, or maybe even we voiced it, you know, that's not biblical, but that is our practical theology. Yeah. And, and here Jesus tells a story in Luke 15, anything, I mean, it is a total scandal. And he knows that the Pharisees are in earshot. I believe he's telling all three of those stories in Luke 15 to show the Pharisees what God was really like. Because the version, what God, what they were portraying God as, the dutiful law, you know, wrath, all the things that they were trying to 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 hem people in with more law. Here God Himself came to set people free from the law. Mm-hmm. And he tells this scandalous story that a son who basically said, dad, I wish you were dead. Mm-hmm. Give yeah. me what's coming to me when you die. Yeah. And he goes into the far country with whores and all kinds of wild living, everything you can imagine. He did it, had the posse partying up with him. And all of a sudden the money runs out and amazingly the friends disappear. And here this Jewish boy finds himself. I don't know if you can get more of a bottom, a Jewish boy slopping pigs. Yes. Right. That's, 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 that's a very low point. Yeah. And he's so hungry that the slot, I grew up on a cattle farm. I'm very glad we didn't have pigs, but I have been around a pig farm a time or two and Mm -hmm. it's, it's nasty. It stinks. Mm -hmm. Some of your listeners, I'm sure know exactly what I'm talking about. And so for that to look appetizing Mm -hmm. and I used to preach Josh, that the prodigal was repentant in the pig pen. I don't necessarily believe that anymore. I think he was practical in the pig pen. And in his practical understanding, he thought the guys working for my dad, the servants in my dad's household have it much better than me. They've got three square meals a day. They've got a roof over their head. Maybe I can go back and be restored as a worker, as a servant. Sonship was not even on his radar. In his mind, he had forfeited sonship because of the the horrific thing he had done, the scandalous thing he had done by asking for his inheritance early mm-hmm. and wasting it. So all the way back from the far country, and I think it took a while. I don't think he was paying close attention as he drifted to the far country, right? I don't think he was t- taking careful notes, uh, and which is what sin does. We're in this fog. And so he's, he's making his way home, not knowing how he's going to be received, rehearsing his speech, right? Um, but he wasn't prepared for what he got. Right. Yeah. That yeah. the father saw him from a great distance. That tells me he'd been looking for him day after day. Mm-hmm. He saw his boy and he broke Jewish tradition and he went running after him. He hiked up his robe and he went running after his son and he tackled him, kissed him, put a robe on his back, yeah. put a ring on his finger and he threw a party. Yeah. No doubt. He slaughtered the fat and cow, didn't he? Right. That's, that's right. When, that's what, that's, and that's what uh, made his, uh, his other brother mad. That's right. And and I was like so much of my life, the elder brother mm-hmm. doing the right things, mm-hmm. trying to earn my father's approval, trying mm-hmm. to earn his smile yeah. because that's the, the broad, the elder brother's heart was revealed. Wait, you owe me. Where's my party? I've been good. Yeah. I've been dutiful. Yeah. And that was the whole dutiful Christian life that I've been trying to do my whole life. Mm-hmm. And, and so I relate very much to the prodigal and I re, I relate very much to the elder brother and, um, but both brothers missed the heart of the father. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I had missed. I did not understand scandalous grace until everything blew up in my story. And I began to see that the purpose of the Christian life is not to see how sin less I can be to sin less and less. 
because the more I'm trying to sin less and less, what I realized looking back, what I really had was a theology of look at what a small sinner I am. And when you try to convince God and everybody else what a small sinner you are, we try to, we, we, we all these mental gymnastics of what's a big sin and what's a little sin mm-hmm. and the hierarchy of sin that we create in the human heart. Mm-hmm. The reason we need somebody beneath us on the hierarchy is because we need to feel better about ourselves. Sure. The reason that I needed to feel better about my, myself is because I didn't believe God loved me as I was. Mm-hmm. So I know that God didn't love me or I felt like he didn't love me as I was. So at least I'm not like that guy. Mm-hmm. I'm not perfect yet, but at least I've got some people behind me. Yeah. And Josh, when I finally began to realize the scandal of grace, that he loved me as I was, not as I should be, the hierarchy can go away, that I was a son. And being a son was never because of what I had or had not done. It was because of the finished work of Christ. And that, that revelation that you mean I've been spending all this time and energy trying to earn the father's smile and all this time I already had it. Yeah. That he wasn't crossed arms, turning his back, disappointed look. Yeah. That he was already delighted in me. He, uh, Zephaniah three says he was singing a unique song over me. There was a melody that was unique to me Mm. that my creator was singing and so I, my journey is I had to begin to hear that, that melody louder than the inner critic that had been with me my whole life, that inner yeah. coach that always reminds us how we'd blown it. And the reality is we have blown it. And now instead of seeing the Christian life as I once did, is the more I walk with Jesus, the less and less I sin. Now I realize the more I walk with Jesus, the more I see my sin and my desperate need for a Savior. And really Paul illustrates that for us. The guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, on the road to Damascus, he's he's had this miraculous conversion experience. Soon after that, he referred to himself as the least of the apostles. Mm-hmm. Midway through his ministry, he referred to himself as the least of the Jews. At the twilight of his ministry, he referred to himself as the chief of sinners. So at least in Paul's example, the more he walked with Jesus, the more he saw his desperate need for yeah. Jesus. yeah. And what a game changer as it relates to the way we live daily and that we can be free to take off the mask and to tell the truth about what's really going on. And that's what we're missing because I think the the main tool of evil is to convince us we're the only one. We compare our, our worst, the depths of our, our, the worst stuff that we know very, very much firsthand with everybody else's highlight reel. Yeah. And it's an unfair comparison. Yeah, no doubt. And we, we say alone, especially as men, alone and isolated, believing we're the only one. And really, he's only got one kind. He doesn't need a bunch of kinds because if we're not comparing our stories, one lies enough. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing when some of the waiting guys to finally open up and tell the truth of their story. The common takeaway every time is, me too. I thought I was the only one. Yeah. And we fear that everybody's going to be running for the exits. And actually, we experience the opposite. They're coming toward us. They're actually um, more warm to us because they see the courage to tell the truth and that we can, we we have a phrase in our ministry. We're here to connect at weakness, not to impress with strength Mm. and giving men a place to connect at a, at a place of weakness because so many men are terrified. They're going to be seen as the poser that they know they are. Mm -hmm. 
and that they're going to be seen as the fraud. Mm-hmm. And we don't. And so by 1821, if we don't know how to do something as a man, we're covering it up. We're hiding because we believe the lie that culture and maybe even the church has told us that men should have all the answers and you cover up those areas. But here's the other problem is we're not given the freedom to ask for help as men. Yeah. So I don't know if we believe we're supposed to be born with all this knowledge of auto mechanics and engineering and farming and fixing anything. I mean, Right. If we don't have an older male to teach us these things, how are we supposed to know it? Yeah. But guys by 21, if they don't know how to do something, I've, I've been around a bunch and I was included. We just fake it, right? We cover it up. We don't want to be exposed as, mm-hmm. as a fraud. So yeah, you and Melody, obviously many people know, cause we, we talked about this earlier on the podcast, but you know that they, you guys got divorced, you were separated for a, a number of years. You were able to reunite and, and you have a very amazing, strong relationship now, a marriage. Um, I'm curious to know, you've got Undone Redone, uh, and this ministry has been going on for a number of years now. Uh, and of course, obviously, it was discovered through the pain and the shame, and, uh, and that, but once again, uh, the rebirthing of the, that relationship is awesome. I know you're off to, an, you're going to start another, um, uh, another company as well, no, company business uh, platform. How about that? M- much like Kingsman, which is a group of, uh, of men that are striving to, um, to take ownership of their lives and lead in their lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk about this. I, I really know that we, our audience is a lot of men out there. Um, and I know that they would be very interested to know, like, what is it that you found as a need and what is it that you're excited about with this new venture to help men, uh, become all that they were created to be? Yeah. Uh- so this has been on the back burner for me since about 2012. It's been something that's just been in my bones for a while and part of my, out of my own story, but also then having a front row seat for a decade walking with other men. And I started seeing some of the, the same themes. And some of those themes were what I was just saying, men not knowing how to do things and feeling shame. Mm-hmm. Uh, a real man should know how to do that. And, and so what I started seeing is like, let's say if a guy didn't know anything about mechanical stuff, um, he would maybe be on his way to work and the check engine light comes on and all these things start flooding his mind. I wonder what that is. I wonder what it's going to cost. You know, a real man would know. I don't even know when I pop the hood, I don't even know what's what under there. Right. I don't even know where to take it. I don't have a mechanic. Uh-huh. What if he, char- what if he charges me $4,000 for a $40 fix? I can't argue with him cause I don't know anything about cars. And so all this is starting to stir up in his heart. He goes into work and he maybe is here around March, March Madness. Maybe he's checking ESPN, see if his team may be going to make it into the, into the tournament. And then he sees cheerleaders of the SEC and he clicks on that. And before he knows it, he's in full-blown pornography on his work computer. And he's not connected the dots that all of that, start, that started and got stirred up when his check engine light came on. Hmm. And so I started seeing this, that there's deeper things that was leading men to to driving a lot of this unwanted behavior. So I said, what if we started solving that? What if we gave men a place, a community where it's okay not to know how to do something that we don't have to feel shame that we can begin to disciple one another in practical things. Also think even going further to initiate men, because I think that's really the problem that we have in our culture is we don't have initiated men. Yeah. Uh, Ideally, that comes from our fathers, but most of us, our fathers were never initiated. Mm-hmm. I believe it's a man who makes a man, that men make men, that we call men into the fellowship of men. And that was a big part. I said earlier, you know, I was I was taking my question, do I have what it takes as a man to melody? And I think that's really often what we do as men. We, we take that question to the woman 
And, and that's ultimately what pornography is. Why there's such an epidemic of pornography. We're taking that question to the woman, Mm -hmm. right? She's, there's no risk of rejection. She's always glad to see us. She's always smiling. There's, you know, no, no risk that she's going to say no. And so it's a wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. But it diminishes us as men because we know deep down that's a cheap substitute for what we were truly designed for. So all that to say true blue tribe, true blue, authentic tribe community, Hmm. a place where men can show up in community and be who they are. Mm -hmm. That um, if they don't know how to do something, they want to learn how to weld, they can find a guy to teach them how to weld or how to figure out what's going on with their car or how to grill or whatever the Mm -hmm. thing is. Yeah. Uh, I've had uh, board members say, you know, when I've started describing this, he said, you know, that's exactly right. And they describe these moments, maybe two or three times where they've allowed this huge buck. They've been in the hunting stand at the hunting club and they let this huge (laughs) eight to 10 point buck walk through their sights and they didn't pull the trigger because they didn't know how to field dress a deer. And it was easy to not kill it than to risk being exposed as lacking in something. Mm -hmm. I think that just speaks to how fearful we are as men. And really, I think culture, the church even doesn't help a lot. We, you know, we have this idea that a man just should know, but yet we don't give any kind of place where a man can learn. We're just supposed to know. So about 18 Mm -hmm. or 21, if we don't know something, so that's what we try to resolve with, with true blue tribe. We want to above anything, everything else is we want to provide a way when a guy says, yes, I need to be initiated that we can say there's a process of that for that initiation. Mm -hmm. Here are the principles we believe that need to take place for you to really become an initiated man. And part of that is to discover the wildness of their heart, right? That's what culture doesn't know what to do with the wildness of a man's heart. John Eldridge obviously uh, talked a lot about that in wild at heart. Uh But I think the taming of a man's heart has been so much of the wounding of so many men that right culture doesn't know what to do with masculinity. And so we've got this whole thing of toxic masculinity and all that. And certainly there's been some, you know, some damage done, no doubt. So we want to make sure that we initiate men so that it's strength under control. Not that we, we basically what's the effeminization of men right now and and all the craziness going on in our culture where, you know, men and women are supposed to be somehow the same. We've got this transgender stuff where you've got women's sports are being obliterated because you've got basically biological males, you know, competing against females and yeah. the name of equality and all this craziness. And, and the reality is we're different, you know, yeah. Yeah. we, men and women are different yeah. equal. Yes, but different. Mm-hmm. And I think this equality means sameness so much. And, and, and I, what I found, and I'm sure you have in your work too, Josh, is many of the men that show up in our ministry who are struggling with sexual sin, there's a deep level of shame just for being a man and having a penis with some guys because of this message that every problem that society has is a man's fault. And certainly there's a lot of them that are, but to begin to not just grovel in that, not to go to a place of shame, but to help men really begin to live fully alive as God created them in their God-giving identity. Now the term I use is a sexual one, but teaching men to live fully erect, fully erect as a man. <laughs> that's right? shoulders. No, that's back, good. Okay. You know? Yeah. Because when we learn to live fully erect, I believe and connect with other men who also are learning that, that, that things change, yeah. right? That that is, that is certainly what God is calling us into, but there's so much confusion right now. I mean, the, the state of men's ministry 
right now that pancake breakfasts and yeah. just basically it's you boil it all down. It's just how to be a nice guy. Yeah, exactly. And that was mine. I was just, I was trying to be a passive nice guy and avoid conflict. And when everything blew up, I remember I watched the movie Fight Club. And that stirred something deep within me. I, mm-hmm. I don't know that I can fully describe it, but there were, I was so angry at myself for being so passive for so long and believing the lie because I was trying to kill my heart mm-hmm. because it was my heart that was getting me in trouble with sexual sin. And what I realized is God did not want me to kill my heart. He wanted to bring my heart alive. Mm-hmm. That Our heart doesn't go away. As John Eldridge says, it goes underground yeah. in sacred romance. And mine had gone underground and was was trying to find life through safer lovers because I didn't believe that God God was a safe lover that I was it was total idolatry and so just helping men step into the new the bigger the better story I love what um, Dan Allender uh, who was the narrator of a a movie called The Heart of Man that our story happened right. to be a part of it yeah. came out in 2017 he said this it got cut out of the final cut and I wish it had stayed in but he said pornography that's like playing with marbles when God's given you a Ferrari. Go play. Mm-hmm. But yet most most of us as men don't believe that. Yeah, yeah. We believe that God's best, the, the way that he's described our sexuality and relationships and all those things in Scripture, somehow we bind to this idea that that's a bland granola diet, that truly living yeah. is this great wall of chocolate dessert from P.F. Chang's. You know, that's, that's what pornography and everything the world says about sex but it's just not true that if we really began to believe that his design, that he wants to give us the delights of our heart, mm-hmm. that that is his and he is good and he is a good father. And so that's what we want to bring men into that understanding with with True Blue Tribe. And for some, it may just checking out a YouTube channel, how to do something. And that hopefully will bring them into this deep community and fellowship where it's OK to not have it together, to not be OK. But there's men. Who it's not going to be like middle school locker room where any any weakness gets exploited and you get laughed at and made fun of because I think that's the wounding of most men sure. is that any weakness is going to be used to my detriment so I've got to shore that up and I've got to cover up and I've got yeah. to look the part yeah. and we've been doing that for far too long yeah. and men are tired and are being taken out right and left we weren't created to be alone we were created to do life in community with other men mm-hmm. men make men. And when we leave and have that fellowship with other men and we bring that strength back to our domain, back to our children, back to our wives, um, that's where the magic really happens. Yeah, no doubt about it, brother. So is this uh, is this available now if, if somebody wanted to research uh, this and, and, and actively try to pursue this? Or do you guys have this up and going as we speak? Yeah, so truebluetribe.com okay. It's a landing page now. Uh, we are about to launch a new podcast. In the first season of the podcast, we all about this masculine initiation. Yeah. So I've got some buddies from all over the country. We're going to be doing uh, a new podcast. Um, you know, we've been doing Undone Redone since 2013, but a new yeah. podcast uh, targeting just men around the True Blue message. Uh, just helping men find their heart, helping men step into initiate. No matter what, they're, you, you're going to have some 75, 80 year old men. But what a beautiful thing that they're saying, hey, I've never been initiated. It's not about age. Um, and it, it's it's just something that's so missing. So, yes, truebluetribe.com. It'll be up uh, very, very soon. Excellent, my man. And is that the logo that you're wearing on the hat right there, the True Blue Tribe right there? Is that the, the line is. right there? Yeah. It's right here. So I see it. It's on the hat. Yeah. And it's I got you. Mug. Yeah. Even, it's even yeah. on uh, the Zoom call thing right there, too, man. I love it. And it's the that's lion. Right. So. 
you know, yeah, rediscovering are, authentic manhood. Yes. Yeah. I love it, dude. You are a man after my own heart there. So that's awesome, brother. Well, dude, I appreciate you being on the show again, dude. This is awesome. I know this is very insightful. I know that you stirred the hearts of a lot of men and women out there because, you know, we we're all bruised. We're all battered. We're all damaged. You know, we've all, um, we've all had shame in our lives. And for us to be able to talk about that and also to see that you can come through it, right? It's not the devastation of your life that will be the end result of your life. It's the acknowledgement of that and understanding you can't do it alone. You were never meant to do this alone. And, you know, obviously when you can turn to the Lord, that's fantastic. That is the, that is the main point. But then you also have to surround yourself with a community of people that can help you go to that level of achievement that you want. So, man, I, I applaud you for what you're doing, your efforts that you and your wonderful wife are doing. It's amazing. Undone, redone. Um, I've done a lot of research on it. I highly recommend people to go to that site. Obviously, reach out. I know that you guys have events um, consistently all the time for marriages. You do a tremendous amount of things. You know, one of the things I love what you're doing, too, is, you know, I've got four children, and as they continue to grow, I don't know all the answers. I haven't been there before, and I've got great people, a lot of wisdom in my life. There's no doubt about it. Uh, from people that have that are sitting at my table. But I love the fact that you have resources to help moms and dads, and not just men and women, but moms and dads as well, too, as they tackle this identity crisis that we are having in our culture currently. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, we do. My Scare Family is our parenting piece. Um, you know, technology is daunting and what it delivers to our yeah. children. And it's yeah. the one area where uh, kids know more than parents in most cases about yeah. technology. Yeah. And so many parents are not engaging. So through my secure family, we try to teach parents how to effectively engage the hearts of their children to have healthy conversations about sex and sexuality to really prepare them for the, the brokenness that they're going to be encountering in our world. Yeah. That's awesome, brother. That's powerful. So they can find the resources, um, at undone, redone, where at again. Yeah, undoneredone.com. Uh, everything okay. is there. Our recovery ministry, Route 1520. Melody has um, a ministry to betrayed spouses called Life Beyond Betrayal. Okay. Uh, but everything is there, undoneredone.com. Uh, you'll find everything uh, right there. Fantastic. And then once again, the uh, the men's group, where we find that at again, one more time for the listeners. Yeah, truebluetribe.com. Okay. True, T-R-U-E, bluetribe.com. Fantastic, brother. Hey, man, I once again, I appreciate you. And for all those that are listening to it, I know that we, uh, uh, you know, that we hit hard today. We, we talked about some things that make people uncomfortable, but we got to do that. You know, we got to have those conversations. But here's the thing. You also have to know that there are resources out there. There are people that have been there and they're doing that and they're helping men and women get through these battles and these challenges in their life. So I know that either you yourself uh, need to hear this or maybe somebody in your life needs to hear this. And so I'd encourage you to take that opportunity, take this time and, and reach out to them because I know they've got some amazing resources. So brother, thank you so much for being on today show. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate the opportunity. All right.